So work is fundamentally changing as we know it and faster than most people think. You've heard me talk on this podcast before about the future of work, but the thing is, thanks to this pandemic, it is the future now, like as if we are living this way of working right now. And I really feel that not enough people are embracing the change that is happening right before our eyes and using this as an opportunity to redesign your life and the work that you do. So I've got somebody special on this podcast who's been doing this for themselves for 20 years already, as in being self-employed, designing their work and their life to suit them and do the work that matters. And that is what we're going to talk about on today's episode of the Untapped Podcast. Hi, I'm Natalie Sisson, an entrepreneur, best-selling author, speaker, host of this Untapped podcast, and a lover of handstands and dogs. I've spent over a decade building successful businesses I love and teaching others to do the same. I want to help you tap into your unlimited potential and make the income and impact you desire simply by being you. In fact, I'm on a mission to help 1,000 women earn at least $10,000 a month and contribute at least 1% of their revenue to causes that they truly care about, so that together we can create a ripple effect in this world. So if that sounds like you, and you're on board to learn how to make the mindset shifts you need to have the business success you want and the lifestyle that you desire, then this is the podcast for you. Stephen Worley is my guest today, and he's been working for himself for the past 20 years. And he believes that what was once the future of work is something that all of us have access to right now. And this is totally in line with how I think when I talk about how you can get paid to be you, how you can create your own business and your own employment from doing work that matters and doing the work that you love, but also understanding so much more about who you are. And Stephen's philosophy is that you need to teach people first about the life skills that matter before teaching them the hard business skills. So if you do want to work for yourself, you need to learn about yourself first. You need to understand how to manage yourself because at the end of the day, you are the first resource of your business. Self-employment is one of the best ways to get to know yourself and understand your strengths and the things that you love and the things that you can't stand. And in today's episode, we talk about why self-employment is the future of work, which is right now, people. We also talk about how to find your purpose by systematically purging your entire life. This is a goodie. We discuss why managing your energy instead of just your time actually makes you more productive. One of my favorite topics, self-awareness and why it's the most important life skill never taught to us. How to create financial independence by assessing your spending and income generating habits. And also how Stephen has generated $600,000 annually in his last business from just 50 clients working 20 hours a week. We do discuss a lot in this episode, so let's just dive in. Stephen, welcome to the Untapped podcast. It is so good to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. We've already been having a really great chat. Yeah, I'm excited to dive into the now of work as we were just talking about, not this future of work. But before we do, I'd love for you to tell my beautiful listeners how you get paid to be you. So currently, I run a 30-day accelerator program twice a year in the fall and in the spring, which would be the reverse for the folks in New Zealand. So that's October and April. So I've always loved doing a live group coaching program, especially when you want to work for yourself. I always tell people just because you're going to work on your own doesn't mean that you should be going it alone. And most people have never had the experience of working in like kind of a mastermind context with other people. 
And then once they go through it, they really do swear by it. It really does accelerate your growth when you're hanging out with other people who want the same change as you, trying to do the same things as you. If you're trying to start a business and you're still hanging out with people who are conventionally employed, it's going to be a lot harder. It just is. Humans, we evolved to work together. It's just how it is. So I say, go with it. Yeah, beautiful. So let's dive in and talk about the now of work. (laughs) I've discussed this on the podcast before. I've talked about the future of work, this ability to be able to upskill, reskill, and be totally relevant for the way in which the world is changing. And now it feels like that all got accelerated and we are just here. Like we are living it. We are breathing it. More people than ever have had to use online tools to work from anywhere, remote working. Everything's kind of come at them. Jobs have changed. Businesses have shut down. It's just a bit of a, well, it's just a moment in time where we need to fully embrace the new way of working. So do you want to share a little bit on, I guess, your thoughts around this topic? A little context. I've been working like this for 20 years. So I feel like I'm (laughs) coming from the future to share everything I've learned. I was laid off election day 2000 in the United States. And I never thought I'd work for myself. I was taught to work for somebody else. And it took me five years to accept that I was working for myself and I was pretty good at it. And I was making more money than I was in the job that I had been laid off at. But again, is that's I always tell people because that's how deeply ingrained we are, that story. You are supposed to work for somebody else, which is also funny. You think uh, the United States, we all have the brand of being innovators and creatives and entrepreneurs, but the vast majority of the American public has been indoctrinated to like be scared of working for yourself. Mm-hmm. Now, I thought by 2030 or all the research that I've seen or what I've felt that we are heading to an independent majority workforce in the United States. So on March 15th, I was flying back from Bali because I was hanging out there. The, one of the benefits of working for yourself, for many of us, if you're working online, you can work from anywhere. And when I came back, you know, people weren't like, how are you doing? Are you okay? All that sort of thing. The most of the messages I got from friends and people who know me a long time, like, oh my gosh, you're right. This is happening. <laughs> like I couldn't even, but I was overwhelmed and I had been studying this and researching and observing for so long to think that what I thought was going to happen over a decade, maybe 15 years was happening in an instant mm-hmm. that, you know, the conversation I would have prior to March 15th about working for yourself would be on the fringe you know, people who are starting to be like, this conventional work thing, I've been at it for a while. I'm not any more satisfied or happier. What's the deal? And now that everybody's had, or many, tens of millions of people have had the experience of working from home, all of a sudden the conversation's got a lot easier because all of a sudden there's a lot of people who are like, you know what? I miss people and hang out and community, but do I really want to go back to the commute, to being forced to work into an office, like five days a week, 40 plus hours? Like, is that what I really want? I don't know anymore. Yeah, hopefully and not. That's where we hopefully are. We get not. to reinvent it together. Yeah. We do. And I totally feel you because I think way back when I started over 10 years ago doing this, whenever I talk to people about what I did, they're like, you what? You how? Yeah. And then even up until three or four years ago, still people were like, oh, what's a digital nomad or a location <laughs> independent? Or you can, you know, it was just like, oh, I feel like I've been living and bringing this for so long, yet it's still not mainstream. And now, as you said, I believe it's become more mainstream overnight. And yet there'll still be people who want to go back to their jobs and to do that type of work. But those of us who have been living and breathing it for ages, and for those listening who have been thrust into it, 
I'd love to know just some of your advice with your 20 years experience, given that you took five years to adjust, yeah. even though you were working for yourself for five years yeah. before you fully embraced it and went, oh my gosh, I'm an entrepreneur. You know, I'm a founder. I work for myself. I'm self-employed. What can you give as some great advice for people who have found themselves here now and they're kind of in shock and they, yeah. they need to embrace it and evolve with it? It's normal that you feel in shock. I mean, I was even having a conversation with my sister, who's also my business partner, earlier today. And I was kind of just, I did a week of silence. I didn't talk to anybody for the previous week. I just needed to re-baseline myself because I had just been reacting, going ever since March 15th. And so we are going through a massive collective trauma on a wide spectrum of, of how people are experiencing this positively and negatively. My one hope, and I want to plant this seed in everybody's head, I hope we can all explore the question together that you realize now you have a choice over how you work. You no longer have to just take what is given to you at any level. And I remember being really young in my career. I think I was like 22, 23. I had a job at CBS News in the US. I worked for a show called Sunday Morning. And I remember there's all this busy work I didn't want to do because I wanted to go learn how to become a producer. So I started learning how to like teach all the other people, I'm going to date myself now, how to send a fax and how to use Word. And I just made a list of all the things I didn't want to do that. How could I delegate it back up? Mm -hmm. So why I share that story is because no matter what level you are at or how old you are in your career, there's always the way to say, hold on a second. These are my needs. This is what I want. When people say, I'm just lucky enough to have a job, that drives me insane. Because <laughs> I say like, that's how little you think of yourself. You are better than that. You are. And then there's going to be lots of people who don't want to put in as much work. And they're like, listen, I just got to pay some bills. And this is what I got to do. And great. That is your way of understanding your relationship with work. And as long as you're okay with that, fine. But that's the one thing I really, really want a conversation around is really taking the time, even maybe after listening to us to say to yourself, what is it that I want going forward? What is it that I liked about the last six months that I want to keep on doing? And what's that I missed that I would like to bring back in? Yeah, I love that. Simple, right? And it is, is that moment for you to reassess and go, what am I loving about this? Like if it's new to you and foreign to you, but there's some things that are just really working, then how can you double down on that? I, guess I mean, the, the one thing I hear, I, I mean, it's a little, I don't know what it's like in New Zealand, but in the US, there's like horrific commute times in many cities. Mm -hmm. And I'm telling you, there's so many of uh, my friends or, or other colleagues and peers I've talked to, they're like, who's ever going to want to go back to that commute? I mean, who's yeah. really saying, I miss my hour commute on average every single day? You know what I mean? And sometimes it is nice to go for a drive to clear your head, that sort of thing, but have to do it every single day. That's just the way it is. I feel like people have been saying that for ages, like they hate the commute, but now they have an option to do something about it. I know in Europe, for example, that sales of bicycles have skyrocketed and they have like actually run out of bikes. Like they're all on back order because so many people have obviously taken to using that they're either working locally or they're working from home so they're only going shorter distances and they're cycling i think that's freaking awesome i'd love to see more carless and, cities and ways for people to work remotely and close to other things like cafes and restaurants 
And it's also like, like I know I, I was recently visited Australia and I know there's a big housing crisis there because everybody's kind of a sucked up into living in the cities. I'm not sure what it's like in New Zealand. But the U.S., we face the same thing. And I think this could be a great opportunity of because we can't work from under, we can go back out into the places that we've left and we've forgotten about. Right now, mm-hmm. believe it or not, in New York City, it's almost impossible to get a moving van. That's how many people are leaving New York City. The Time Life Building houses 8,000 workers. I read an article a couple of weeks ago. Currently, how many workers are in that 8,000 person building, do you think, Natalie? Oh my gosh. A thousand? 500. Think about how much one city like that is going to change, mm-hmm. right? And hopefully for the better. I think sometimes with any change, we get really apprehensive. Like none of us asked for this, you know what I mean? But yeah. then, but, it's, but since everything is up in the air, we can have a choice over some of these things about how can we make things better? Because ironically, good things have come out of this. Pollution's dropping. We're spending more time connecting with our core groups, even though we're not connecting in larger groups, but with our families mm-hmm. and our closest friends. Yeah, there's so many good things that have come out of it for those people who can see the opportunity. And so I'd love for you to talk a little bit about something that you said here around how to find your purpose by systematically purging your entire life. So for people that are listening right now, they might you be take like, this one out, what? Natalie. Thank you. Yeah, because I feel like right now people are trying to find their purpose. Things have been completely turned upside down for millions of people. And they're like, okay, maybe this is the time for me to be doing the deep work. And I love the idea of purging your entire life. So you want to talk us through yeah. like how that's going to help. I love it. Let's purge. If you have a Netflix account, I just watched the documentary, The Minimalists. So oh, check that yes. out. So they've interviewed pretty much all the most well-known minimalist advocates in North America fantastic. Lots of different ways of looking at it. I'm going to frighten you all. I've been living out of a bag for the last year and I couldn't be happier. (laughs) Couldn't be happier. Know that feeling. (laughs) And so I think a lot of times when there's a lot of baggage, I know when we hear the word purpose or passion or find my why, all that sort of thing. Let's like just put those words to the side for a second. If you're feeling like, I just don't know which direction I want to move my life in. Thinking more about it is not going to help you. Like you can't think your way out of this. One thing I've learned, one of my truths, and I've seen it time and again working with people, you got to take action. This corpse that's carrying around your brain was designed to move. It was designed to interact with the world. I went on a 15-mile hike this weekend. It was just such crazy therapy to like walk in a forest for that length of Mm -hmm. time and that long. So when I'm talking about purging your life, I want you to think of in terms of maybe uh, revealing what it is you, you want to do next. Think of an ocean. When the ocean tide goes out, you could see the bottom four. Like you could see what's left behind. When the tide comes in, everything's covered up. That's kind of where your life is right now. Like the ocean, it's high tide. You have no idea what's going on in there because you just have so much stuff in your head, your line of sight. You can't see it. But as you start getting rid of the stuff, you're like, I haven't used this in two years. This is a no-brainer. Get rid of this. Or this obligation really annoys me. I'm not doing anymore. This friendship has been dying for the last five years. It's time to say goodbye. And as you keep doing these things, the tide is going out. And you can start seeing what's left behind. And what's left behind is the stuff that you use, that you're really excited about, that really means something to you, that really brings you joy. 
And that's the stuff that's going to give you clues as to where you're headed next. Mm -hmm. That is what I'm talking about, purging your life, systematically purging your life. And I would recommend starting with possessions because it's we're tangible the way our brains work. It's easier to like bring all our clothes together and get rid of stuff because we actually see that something happened. We're like, wow, I'm actually excited about all the clothes in my closet now because I got rid of all the ones that I was like, eh, I feel like I should keep this because somebody gave it to me or I spent a lot of money on it, but I only wore it once, but I didn't like how it fit. And that's when you really start feeling more energized because your brain also has a lot less to keep track of. Yeah, absolutely. hundred percent agree. And I think that's why I love living out of a suitcase for so long because that's all you had. Like you had minimal thinking time. It was exactly your choices were right in front of you. But what's it like re-entering though? (laughs) Help me out there. Like, I feel like I want to still live out of my bag when I do have a home account. I must admit, I did finally unpack my toilet bag probably about five months ago. And that to me was always in a state of pack, even after being back in New Zealand for two or three years. But I think you can still live in a minimalist lifestyle when you're in a home. Like we have 10 acres now. We have a large property. We have more stuff. But I am very cognizant of we use all that stuff. Otherwise, it's not in the house. We're, we're actually still pretty minimalist even living in here. And I love that because I think you can apply it whether you're traveling whether you're living in a tiny home, whether you're living in a large home, it's actually, as you said, it's a mindset. It's about what am I weeding out and how do I continue to declutter so that I feel the spaciousness and I have the time to think and I have the space to think. And I loved your point about not just weeding out the or decluttering things in your life, but also the people, the meetings, the constraints, and even in some ways your own limiting beliefs, which is a, a and, and it's also the thing I've really realized is, Sorry, don't, don't, just, you're just getting me so excited. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's our cravings. Like our brain, your brain has its own agenda outside of you even as what you understand yourself to be. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's the craving for sugar or alcohol or, or attention, all this stuff. And you got to like, this is the tough stuff. Like you got to like, what I love about doing the tangible purging, I often recommend if you can journal somehow, and start recording or video record or audio record how you're feeling about the purge as you're doing it, you're going to also accelerate the process of really learning about what you want and what you're, where you're headed. Because let me tell you, the purging is only as effective as you stop bringing crap into your life just because you just keep doing, oh, it's free, Steven. I just have to. No, you don't. I'm one of those people, I go to conferences and they're like, here's the free swag bag. And I'm like, no, thank you. Like, just because it's free doesn't mean that there's not a cost to that because your brain is then worried about it. You're lugging this around. Mm -hmm. And I think if you do go through this project, have a greater intention, friendships, obligations, anything that you're going to bring back into your life. And you're going to slip up. Sure, we're human, but we can get better at it. Yeah, and I think that actually leads perfectly into the next question, which is around energy, right? Because all the things that you have in your life take energy. They take energy, they take time, they take space, they probably also take your money. And so I'd love to talk a little more about managing your energy even more so than your time. I've been listening to the seven habits of highly effective people, again, like 20 years after I first listened to it. And the biggest thing that Stephen talks about is not a time management issue, it's a priorities issue. And I think one of our biggest priorities is our energy as much as our time. So do you want to talk to that? Like, how do we use our energy to be more productive and conscious of what's important to us. Yeah, so Western capitalism is obsessed with the money. It's like your least important personal resource. 
your most important personal resource is your attention because it's your most limited. Even listening to us right now, think about how many times your attention went to something else. Your next most next limited personal resource, as we were talking about, we're talking more about is your energy and your time. And then you need to direct your attention using your energy and your time to acquire knowledge, skills, connections, to then earn money. Money is just a storage device for your energy to make your life easier going forward. You know, we're always on this, this hamster wheel of constantly, I need more to live the life that I want to live. And now I'm doing the exact reverse. I'm like, how can I constantly bring down the cost of my lifestyle by needing and wanting less? And that starts by managing your energy. So on average, like you're awake about 16 hours a day now, correct? Yeah. How many hours a day can you really work using your sharpest mental focus and your maximum physical energy to do your most important work? How many hours a day do you have? For me, I would say three hours max. Yeah. Like if I'm really conscious about it and I'm in doing deep work, aside from my book recently where I managed like six or seven, I would say most of us have actually even less than that where we're really, really focused in doing. How did you feel after those six or seven hour days where you pushed yourself to write that book? I felt great because it was all I was doing. I had nothing else to think about. I was Mm -hmm. just in the writing. But if that was a work day of me switching tasks and doing a bunch of other things, I would probably be pretty exhausted unless it was the purposeful priority work that I really wanted to be doing. And that's the other thing we're talking about with energy because a lot of times we think I'm I'm doing, and that's the other weird status symbol that we don't purge. You got to purge activities. You have to purge your brain constantly looking for problems, constantly checking something, constantly looking for something to complain about. Like, cut it out. That is, every time your attention's going somewhere else, you are losing energy. So from my research, I've interviewed over 500 solopreneurs. I've been at this for 20 years. I was a history major, so I've run, read tons of biographies about famous people and their habits. Most people, in terms of like knowledge work, you have about four hours a day max. That's it. Mm-hmm. And when you're just because you're awake for 16 hours, we're always obsessed with time management. That is a corporate construct. Like corporations measure productivity in terms of time. When you're an individual, you have to use it in terms of your energy and your attention. So just because you're awake for 16 hours does not mean every single one of those hours is equal in terms of your, of your available energy. Now, let me ask you, Natalie, do you feel like there's a time of day when those three hours of like your sharpest mental focus, your maximum energy, does it happen? generally at a certain time of day over others? It does. Yeah. And I've done a lot of sort of experimentation with myself. It's usually first thing in the morning, like after my yoga Mm -hmm. and after my breakfast, or um, I'm also quite astute at night, but I don't tend to want to work at night. So I will put that more towards learning. So I do find there's different times for sure. And around that middle of the late afternoon, is just not a time when I want to be doing any of that focus work. It's like my time to go out hiking, my time to re-energize. So I I need my my siesta. Yeah, siesta or a hike or something. Yeah, like that midtime day. And actually, David Pink wrote, Daniel Pink rather, wrote a book, When, When's the Perfect Time to Do Anything? And very stereotypically, there we all suffer kind of an energy dip in mid-afternoon. So uh, the point is, it's just, what I've learned is like, we're always trying to, for 200 years, we've been trying to conquer nature. Well, really, I, I've been reading Sapiens, so we've been trying to conquer nature for the 70,000 years. We really got too good at it the last 200 years, and now we're starting to pay the price. And we do that to ourselves. What happens if we started just accepting our limitations? That's how I run my business. I accept 
I don't work more than five hours a day. Today is a little bit more because I'm doing all these podcast interviews for my own podcast, talking to you, doing some coaching calls. But again, to your point, I'm only in this one task, this one flow. I've learned that if I can stay with one task in a day, I can do more of it because my brain's not switching back and forth. I'm just going to have a great conversation with awesome people today. And that's where we think of if we keep doing more, we're going to do multiple things at the same time. You're not. You're just constantly switching. You're asking your brain to just switch really, really fast. That means you're going to use more and more of your energy. So the name of the game here is how do you start really be conscious of like, where the heck is my attention going? The better you can get managing your attention and keep calling it back to where you want to go, the less energy you're going to need to direct that attention. And you're going to conserve that energy and actually create better work in less time and get to do more of the stuff that you really want to do in life. And you, I sleep eight to 10 hours a night. Nice. I've never worked a hundred hour week. No, I think it's and nor should you ever have to. <laughs> and do you think a lot of that is just about being really self-aware? Like I believe that I am a very self-aware person and I know that again, with attention, energy and time, one of the hugest things is just understanding and being self-aware, not only of you, but your environment around you. So why do you think that's the most important skill in life that we've never really, really been taught? And how can we develop that skill? I feel cheated that nobody ever sat me down sometime in my like preteen years to talk to me about self-awareness. If somebody taught me this skill and repeated it and developed it as a course throughout my education, how different my life would be, how life, different life would be for all of us. Because unfortunately, I mean, I know I'm going to sound like conspiracy theorists, but capitalism it works really well if we don't think too hard about everything, right? It wants us all a little off so that way we buy the extra pint of ice cream that we really don't eat or have an extra glass of wine with a really rough day or why don't I watch one more show on Netflix? And really so many of our businesses now are hacking our biology to take advantage of us, to exploit us. And but if you start learning self-awareness, the skill of knowing yourself for yourself, like don't worry about what other people think. And really it's about feeling it. It's not about that executive function in your brain. You cannot put words to this. You got to start feeling it. Like Natalie, there, I've gotten better at knowing, like if I'm starting to get revved up or if I'm, I feel like my attention's really just drifting very easily, I know I need to go meditate. I need to go lay down. I need to go for a walk. I've gotten really good at that. And it's amazing how much I can bring myself back, right? In the past, I would push through that and I would destroy my willpower. Willpower is very finite. So self-awareness, it's almost as if you were floating above yourself and you were observing this conversation you're having. Like if Natalie was watching herself right now, and I'm watching myself and we're Damn, able we to- look good from up there. <laughs> <laughs> now- Here's the thing, because a lot of times people confuse this. They will say self-judgment, or we think of that. And that is not what I'm talking about here. You are observing. I'm observing myself and saying, hey, these are some of the things I noticed. These are some of the behaviors. And this is where you want to go or where you want to head in life or what your intentions are. Did those behaviors line up with that? Yes or no? It's not about being good or bad or productive or unproductive. It's just starting to bring awareness to say, you know what? I have this behavior and I keep saying that I want to do this thing and I want to go it. Is it helping me or not? And so that's another great way to start purging and making a big old list of a lot of your common behaviors and the ones that you don't even know you have yet. That's the thing with self-awareness. You keep learning more and more and more about yourself, mm -hmm. but it actually gets easier so you can conserve more and more energy to like do the stuff that you want to do. Like 
I know it feels liberating to like, I don't need to be a millionaire to have an amazing life. Like I don't even want the burden of having to deal with that much money and worrying about where it's going to go. Yeah. Although energy is money and money is energy. So depending on how you go and depending on how you work things through in your business, like you said, you work five hours a day. That's similar to me. And there's total possible ways to have a million dollar business and not be doing crazy hours, working yourself into the bone, especially if you adopt, for me, at least I say it's all about grace and flow and ease. And so I think what you were saying, your time and attention going into the right priorities can be super powerful for you and your business without all the chaos of having to work yourself into the ground and have that massive responsibility that I think a lot of people feel to continue to keep doing that. You know what I mean? Like just that so once this you is, get there, I mean, you have to be responsible to something and to be to continue to push. Whereas what about just making it easy? That's what I'm curious about. So there's two, two ways I want to handle this. A lot of times we don't know how much we need to live our ideal life. We haven't, we haven't mm-hmm. sat down. I could speak at least to the United States, like the six figure income or making a quarter of a million dollars is like the sexy thing. Like that's what I made it. It's a status symbol. We have a lifestyle calculator. You can download it for free at lifeskillsthatmatter.com slash calculator. And you can actually intentionally really calculate how much money you need to live your ideal life. Like how much does it cost? It's such a great reflective exercise to understand like, what is it you want to do? And then going and finding out like, what are the options? How much does that cost? And when I bring people to this exercise, they're, they're always blown away about how much money they arrived at. They're like, this is so much less than I thought I needed to like do these things. But we are so driven and obsessed because we don't bring ourselves out of the system that's constantly saying, you need more. You're not good mm-hmm. enough if you're not a millionaire, especially working as a solopreneur entrepreneur. Like we have to like compete against the Silicon Valley people. You know what I mean? Got to be a millionaire. Got to be working 100 hours to be as good as them. I don't want to be as good as them. I do not want their business models. No, thank you. Learn different things about what they've done and brought them into my business, but I do not want to work with, like them. So that's one thing. What's our upper, upper limit? What's enough? And then kind of maintain that. Now on the flip side, back to the energy management of using automation and automation's dirty word, right? In the mainstream, we often word. We think of, <laughs> yeah, we think of automation as bad, killing jobs. But for you and I, it's magic. So the U.S. Mm-hmm. Census Bureau has, has data, I think it was like 2016 to 2017, where there was a significant uptick and single founder businesses, solopreneurs making over a million dollars in their business and single founder solopreneurs making over a hundred thousand dollars in their business. I experienced this from 2008 to 2012 on my last business. I was running a sales training business online and offline for uh, broadcasters. And we were generating about $600,000 a year at our height. And I was working about 20 hours a week. I felt so guilty about it almost. I'm like, what happened here? What am I, what's doing? Because I had a system. I was implementing new, the, like the earliest versions of automated technologies to manage this. And that is where, what is possible. Like individuals can actually generate a higher level of income than ever before. Now, my take on it is I know what I need. I'm pretty lucky. Like I'm well under $100,000 a year of what I need to live my ideal lifestyle. But now if the system that we're creating ends up generating a lot more money than that. That's okay as long as I'm not exploiting people, manipulating people, or stressing myself out. And then probably I'll end up donating a lot of that money to something else or making our business more accessible, lowering the price. I don't know. We'll figure it out when we get there, if that should ever happen. So I think that's a different way of looking at it. It's like 
I want to help people. I don't care about having the biggest house, the fanciest car. All of that is done just to bring attention to yourself, to say, look at me. I'm so great. Give me a pat on the back. I don't need it. Yeah. I think what comes with more income and actually really more profit, because that's the bottom line of any business, is the ability to make more impact. And so I'm 100% with you. I mean, when I lived out of my suitcase, I had such, well, so little cost really to living life. And I was making far more than I needed, but I was able to use that money to hire better people, to put in things into my programs and my courses and my events that were just the finishing touches that just giving more back to people and also being able to make an impact on the charities that I chose and the work that I did. And I think that for me is when I think about the seven-figure business, it's about, oh, what can I do with this to make a bigger impact? Not how can I buy more things? Last thing I want in the world. I just want to be out there with my vegetable garden planting trees. Like we we live a pretty beautiful, simplistic life. But I also have a very big mission to help a thousand women earn 10K a month or more and donate at least 1% of their income to charities and create a ripple effect for other women. That excites me. That lights me up. And for that, I want to create more wealth for others so that they can give more of that wealth to people who don't have it and we can create this beautiful effect. So I guess it's for me, it's very much comes back to your purpose and your mission as to why you want to earn more and also your lifestyle. So I really like that you pointed out you don't need more than you need, but also it's okay to have more if you're going to use it for the right purpose. And I just want to bring some attention to it. I've been doing some research, particularly in the United States. The demographic in the United States that is building businesses faster than any other demographic in the last 10 years has been on black women. Sadly, so sadly, it's enraging. They are the least invested in, in terms of, you know, investors and banks helping them start businesses. I just want to bring attention to this because I think if there's any way that you could be supporting disadvantaged people and starting their businesses, let's start expanding the access to all of this opportunity, not just hoarding it, you know, among a few selected people as we have been for the past, well, most of our human history. Like we can change that. You know what I mean? Let's do it. And we're going to start doing more. We're we're thinking of different ways of how we can be supporting specifically Black women, solopreneurs, because like, it's amazing, like our system of work never worked for them ever. So it's not a surprise that they are so incentivized to go create a new system of work on their terms, you know, and I just, gosh, whatever I can do to support that, I'm in. Yeah, I've been doing a lot of work behind the scenes on that and looking at ways to not only invest in people in my business and bring them in, but also invest in their future. So through scholarships and working programs and mentorship. And yeah, Every single person needs a leg up when they've been disadvantaged as they have been, especially BIPOC. And I just think it's up to us when we have this privilege that we're sitting with to be able to make that difference and do the work and advocate for them. So I love that you said that. Thank you for bringing that to the attention, especially those stats are so scary. For women in particular own businesses, but once you start going down into demographics and right down into those, you know, BIPOC people, it's just, it's pretty incredible what's not happening for them and what they've not had access to and all the ways in which they've been disadvantaged. So yeah, really, really great point. Thank you for bringing it up. So to finish up, I guess I just love to know what do you feel makes a life worth living? What makes life matter for people who are listening? What is it that they can really hone in on that will drive them every single day to turn up be more purposeful, more intentional. When all the studies and research that you've done over the years, 20 years, what do you feel makes something matter to people? 
The thing I've always wanted, and that sounds crazy, I just wanted inner peace. It's funny when people are like, why, why the heck have you done what you're doing? Like, I was chronically anxious all the time for so many different ways and was offered antidepressants and all these other things. And they all have their place and their tools. But I just knew something else was up. And I feel like I finally discovered what it is. Like we've all been trapped in the system that works for a few people. And we've all been sold a story that we have to work really hard to support this whole thing. Otherwise, you're going to die. You're not going to be able to pay your bills. It's all not true. And I think we all have a duty to find ways to just, I know it sounds, it is, it's so cliche. I don't even know how to say this better or more eloquently, but it's how are we not really enjoying going for a walk? Why is that not good enough? Why is it not good enough to have a really cool, interesting conversation right now across the world? Like we shouldn't be doing this. I grew up at a time where Long distance phone calls were crazy. There was no way my parents would have ever let me call somebody in New Zealand. And here we are doing tape for free. And then we're sharing this conversation with people. So I think you don't need more. Like, what's the thing that really makes you happy? I think that we almost feel guilty to be like, oh, I just love hiking and gardening, <laughs> turns out. And it doesn't cost that much to do either of those things, you know? And I love creating content and, and doing this kind of research. And I think. We have to really, a life worth of living is do whatever you can do to listen to your own inner voice and give a voice to that voice and stop listening to everybody else. Beautiful. I know it's hard. 100%. It's not that hard though, is it? It's where you put your attention and your energy. So you might as well put it on yourself so that you can feel into what you want and then radiate that out to the world. And yeah, it's also not being selfish either. That's not about, it's just like, there's a part of your being. If you're listening to this and you're like struggling, you're like, I don't know what to do. I don't know. Like, Trust me, there's a part of your being that's outside of your conscious mind that's very clear and knows exactly what you need to do and why to do it. And it's waiting for you to listen to it. I really, I know, gosh, 10 years ago, I would have made fun of the person talking right now myself because I know it sounds like hocus pocus, but it's true. I've just seen it time and again. It doesn't sound like hocus pocus. It sounds like the truth. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for sharing today, for bringing all this wisdom, the 20 years of working in the future of now. And hopefully people have taken some really great things away from this about what they can be doing to start decluttering, minimizing, and getting back to the root of what matters to them so that they can start to like redesign their life and their work in a way that really matters. It's possible. And I cannot wait to have you over our podcast to dive into your amazing story. I mean, I feel like you're one of those kindred spirits, really. I'm I'm leaving this conversation super energized. So thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed that episode. I hope you have looked at the intersection of your life skills and your work skills and how you can intentionally design the life and work that you want to be doing and why now more than ever, it is the perfect time to be self-employed and figuring out your priorities in life, where you want to spend your energy, how much you actually want to make, and what good you want to do in the world. If you want to start off with Stephen's Lifestyle Calculator to figure a lot of this out, head to lifeskillsthatmatter.com forward slash calculator and go work it out. And make sure that you subscribe because I have some awesome episodes coming up, also some fantastic episodes that have been and are there for you to access for life. That is what I love so much about podcasts, the goodness that you can learn from them, the skills the goodness that you can learn from them about yourself, about others, and then apply them immediately 
to who you are and what you want to be doing in this world. And for me, I want you to be tapping into your potential and getting paid to be you so you can make the income and impact you deserve. So please head across to the tool that you're using to listen to this podcast, whether it's iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, you name it, and subscribe to the Untapped Podcast so you get the fresh episodes immediately when they land, which is every single Wednesday morning. Thanks so much for listening. 